Thanks for joining us here at Thrive Church. We are a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. For more information, go to our website, www.thrivechurch.co.za. I found a scripture. I want to give it to you. Psalm 18, verse 28. Just listen to it. Psalm 18, 28. Really easy. It's 18, 28. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. Sometimes you just got to go to the Word of God and allow it to encourage us in these times and say, you know what? We will get through this time. We will get through this challenge. Our country's been through big challenges. It'll get through these as well. Hey, don't allow yourself to get down. Don't allow yourself to get negative. Don't allow yourself to get cynical and skeptical and all of these things. Don't allow yourself to get voos. Well, if you get voos, just kind of just settle yourself and just breathe deeply. Hey, Should we pray? God, you uh, know every life here this morning. You, you know the challenges that we've had this week. You know our individual lives. You, you know some of us, the concerns that we carry around our country and around the electricity crisis. And these things, Lord, can weigh on us. So I just pray this morning that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would uh, build us with your word that you would impart something into our spirits this morning, that we wouldn't take on the shape and form and, and, and um, negativity of the culture around us, of the country around us, but that we had learned to be people of hope, people who speak blessing to our land, not curses, that, that we would be people who are uh, dealers and merchants in hope. So build our spirits, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody in 8 a.m. said, amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a seat. There was a man called Timaeus, and we know almost nothing about this guy. Uh, His name means honorable, though. We do know that much about him. And like most men in the first century, he grew up learning his dad's trade. And in turn, he hoped for his son to learn his trade. So can you imagine the hope? Can you imagine the excitement when he and his wife learned that they were going to have a baby? Pretty soon the baby was born and this was a baby boy, which was even better in the first century AD because it meant that Timaeus, the honorable, had a son upon which to, uh, or, uh, who he could teach his trade, who he could teach to become like him. But pretty soon Timaeus and his wife realized this little boy didn't seem to be doing all that little boys did. His eyes weren't tracking when they moved their finger, his His smile wasn't given at the right time. He wasn't laughing at their smiling faces. He wasn't responding to their faces. You see, Timaeus, the son, was born blind. This little boy, we know nothing about him except that he was born blind. We know him only as Bartimaeus. Bar means son in Aramaic. Son of. We know him as Bartimaeus because he was Bartimaeus. He was the son of Timaeus. Bar Mitzvah means son of the law. Simon Bar Jonah means Simon, son of Jonah. Barnabas means the son of Nabus. Barabbas means son of fathers. Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. This man, this boy grows up to be a man. We know nothing about him except. His name, you see, his name, even his name was just the son of his father. After all, why bother giving a name to a child who's 
blind. He'll never see. He'll never be able to earn a living, never be able to raise a family. This was the curse of blindness that was carried in the first century. And Timaeus and his wife began to wonder, was this blindness that hit our son? Was this our fault? Is God punishing us for some sin in our lives? Not only would he never be able to learn the trade of his father, but he would never be able to provide for himself. He was doomed to a bare bones existence, gained from humbly begging and just depending on the charity of passers-by. He was doomed to that. And when Timaeus grew old, he knew there would be no son to look after him one day. No son would be by his bedside to close his eyes as Isaac had done for Abraham and as Jacob did for Isaac. Timaeus the Honorable would become known as Timaeus, the son, with the son born blind. And when we meet Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, the blind man, he's on the side of the road begging, just like they thought he would. He'd been waiting for most of his life. You ever feel that way? That you've been waiting for most of your life? Like life has you on the back burner. Or maybe at best on the sidelines, just waiting. Waiting for the next step. Waiting for the next job. Waiting for that next relationship. Waiting for the next chance. Waiting to get into the game. Bartimaeus, we meet him for the first time. And all we know about him is just six verses in Mark. He's waiting. He's waiting for the charity of passers-by. John Ortberg, pastor and author, said, I put all my hope in a third-day God, but I live in a second-day world. I'm waiting, you know, I'm waiting. We live in, a second, in the second day. We live in the Saturday, don't we? The day when nothing's written about. We know what happened on Good Friday. We know what happened on Easter Sunday. But Saturday, nothing happens. How many of you feel at the moment like you're in the Saturday kind of world? No doubt Bartimaeus was waiting for some generous soul to drop a coin in his cup so he could eat that night. But then down the road, he hears a commotion. A commotion that's going to change his waiting. It's going to transform it because as John Ortberg says, biblically, listen to this, biblically waiting is not something we have to do until we get something we want. This is a word for somebody this morning. Biblically waiting is not something we do while we wait for, to get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. And this grown-up son of Timaeus, this bar Timaeus, this son of Timaeus is about to discover who his God wants him to be. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52, it'll be on the screens for you. Reading from the Passion Translation. When Jesus and his disciples had passed through Jericho, a large crowd joined them. Upon leaving the village, they were on the way out of the village now. They met a blind beggar sitting on the side of the road named Timai, the son of Timai. When he heard that Jesus from Nazareth was passing by, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me now in my affliction. Heal me. Can you sense his desperation? 
Those in the crowd were indignant. The religious got indignant. They scolded him for making so much of a disturbance. But he kept shouting with all of his might, Son of David, have mercy on me now and heal me. Jesus stopped and said to them, call him to come to me. So they went to the blind man and they said, hey, have courage. Get up. Jesus is calling for you. So he threw off his beggar's cloak, jumped up and made his way to Jesus. Can you imagine him? He's, I mean, he can't see. He's standing before Jesus. And Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, Rabboni, my rabbi, my master, I want to see. Please let me see again. Jesus responded. Interestingly, this translation is the only one that has the word see again in it. Most scholars believe that he was blind from birth. This one says, see again. So maybe he had partial sight. I don't know. Jesus responded, your faith heals you. Go in peace with your sight restored. All at once, the man's eyes opened and he could see again. And he began at once to follow Jesus walking down the road with him. Here we've got blind Bartimaeus. If you want to, you can call him Bart Simpson for short. When the scripture picks it up, he's got this cloak around him. The only thing we know about him is that he's sitting on the side of the road. I would imagine he would be just eyes closed, hand out, rattling his tin, just trusting, asking, praying that somebody will see him because he can't see them. And the moment this commotion comes past, here he is, he's wrapped in his cloak. And he, he calls Jesus. He says, Jesus, first, you know he's the only person in Mark's gospel to call Jesus by his name. He's the only guy who calls Jesus by his name. The only man. Isn't it ironic that the blind guy can see more than the rest of them about who he is? And then he goes, Jesus. And then he goes, Son of David. That's a messianic title. That's a title reserved for those who knew that this man he was addressing was the Messiah. And he's wrapped in his cloak and his head's down and he's got a tin open and he's rattling it. And all of a sudden he hears the commotion and his spirit begins to lift because he knows he, he sees blind, but he's not deaf. He can hear who's coming. And he cries out, Jesus, son of David. He knows exactly who he is talking to. And then the crowd interjects and they try and shut him up. And they're indignant. They're, they're concerned. They're worried about their image. They're like, hey, shut up, man. You're taking too much time and making too much noise. They shut him down. You know, there's a crowd in each one of us, if we allow it to be. There's a crowd in each one of us when we come to church and we worry about what the person next to us will think if we raise our hands in worship. Or if we're really grateful and we want to shout out, Jesus, thank you that you had mercy on me. We're worried and 
We wonder what will the crowd think. Except the crowd never received anything from Jesus. Bartimaeus did. And, and Jesus stops. You see, Bartimaeus, is, as I said, he's blind, but he's not deaf. He can hear who's shutting him down, and it's not Jesus. So he keeps shouting. He's like, stuff you guys. I don't care. Jesus! And he catches Jesus' attention, and then one voice rings through the crowd, the voice that he's been waiting for. Go and call him. And verse 50, you'll see it on the screen. Verse 50 says, he costs, he chucks off his coat. I mean, he he he, he, he wears it like that. And he jumps up and he comes to Jesus and he makes his way to, yes, yes, Rabbi. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He is so responsive to Jesus' invitation. He's like, he checks it off. He jumps up. He's like, here's my moment. Every Sunday we have a moment, but we stay civilized. And we stay the crowd. And we stay all sedate and decent. Wasn't the way David worshipped God, you know? In fact, David's own wife made fun of him, and he said, I don't care what you do. I'll become even more undignified than this. And when people get baptized, it shouldn't be a polite applause. Man, we should be screaming the house down. The title of the message this morning is Cost Off Your Cloak. Cost off. Now, it's interesting. Because the first thing he did is he cost off his cloak. That cloak, if you were a blind guy, that cloak was everything to you. That cloak was your security. That cloak was the thing that kept you warm in the frigid evenings. That thing was what protected you from the scorching sun as you sat day after day after day, rattling your tin, waiting. As you sat in the Saturday of your existence, waiting for somebody, that cloak was everything to you. And so when the scripture says that Bartimaeus first in verse 50, throws aside, he casts off his cloak. It's a sign of faith. You see, it's a sign of faith following the words of faith. I want you to see this. It's Jesus, the only guy in Mark to call him Jesus. Son of David, Rabbi, Messiah, Savior of Israel. And then when Jesus calls for him, he casts off his cloak, a sign of faith. Why is it a sign of faith? Because if you were blind and you didn't get healed, you'd never be able to find that cloak again. Your cloak's gone. Your cloak's done. Like you, you, and you're done. You're going to have to beg for another cloak. The cloak's off. And I encourage you to cast off your cloak. Come on, what, what step of faith, what responsive thing do you need to do to what God's impressing upon your life this morning? Jesus says to him, hey, what do you want from me? Now, I imagine it might have been tempting for Bartimaeus if he knew Jesus was the Messiah. Maybe he would have asked for cash. Hey, Jesus, could you open the windows of heaven? And... But instead he asks to see. He asks for his healing. And I just sense in my spirit there's some of us that we've been, we're 
pray prayers that aren't really the thing that, that's needed. Bartimaeus goes to the source of his disability and he says, Hey, I need to see. I need to see. So can you help me see? We find in Bartimaeus' church a soul that is more whole than the others and a spirit that's more responsive than the crowd. See, even though his life was tragic, even though his blindness was unimaginable, his soul and his spirit were responsive to the things of God. In a sense here, Jesus meets the disciple that he's always been dreaming of. Because this guy's blind and poor, and yet he's the one who calls Jesus by name. He leaves everything he has. He chucks aside his coat. It's gone. What faith. Calls Jesus by name, chucks off his coat, leaves everything he has, asks for something he knows he doesn't deserve, mercy. And then he follows immediately and unreservedly. We give you four things this morning that Bartimaeus was responsive to in this passage. Firstly, Bartimaeus was responsive to Jesus' presence. The moment he heard Jesus was on the way, he began to respond, Jesus! He was responsive to Christ's presence. There was a, he knew he was coming. He began to call out his name. You know, when we get into church, it's obviously, it's not the only place Jesus is, but it's the localized uh, gathering that we have together where we, we set aside time to connect. Do you know that in worship, we should be responsive to his presence? We should, we should not be polite, sterile, 21st century, worried about how my shoes look. Am I going to get a crease in my shirt? Worried about the guy next to me. Maybe there's a hot girl looking down that side and you, what will she think? Worship is not, worship is the, the response to the greatness of God. When we, when we respond to Jesus' presence, incredible stuff happens in our lives. I, I pray for our whole church to be responsive. I, I pray to be able to look around and to see people just letting the words wash over them, having a moment of connection with God themselves. I, I pray for people to be zoned in and zoned out to everything else. I pray for exuberance. I pray for passion. I pray for a, a, a sense of letting go in worship. Bartimaeus was responsive to Jesus' presence. How is your response levels during worship to his presence? Guess what? Because he didn't go anywhere. It's just that we haven't drawn near. Are you with me? Secondly, Bartimaeus was responsive to Jesus' invitation. So Jesus says, hey, tell them to come here. Tell him to come here, man. He was responsive to Christ's invitation. 
Every week, this week included, at the end of this service, we give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus' invitation. This morning, there are going to be people that respond to his invitation. There are going to be people that respond to the invitation to come back. Some, some of us here this morning, it's a coming back. It's like, maybe I've just walked away a little bit. I need to come back this morning. You could respond to his invitation. You, you see, we respond to his presence, but we also respond to his invitations. But more than that, maybe there's some invitations deep inside your heart that you know he's inviting you into. Maybe there's some areas of ministry that he's asking you to get involved in. Maybe there, there's some uh, acts of love and service that you know he's inviting you into. And if you, would, if you would give yourself to that. Thirdly, Bottomaeus was responsive to Jesus' question. What do you want me to do for you? He responded. He responded honestly. Hey, When Jesus asks us, hey, what what do you want me to do for you? That's the moment and the time for us to drop our guard. That's the moment and and opportunity for us to connect with him, even in worship. And we're going to be closing in a song just now. That'll be a moment for you. When he says, hey, what do you want me to do for you? That's the moment to not keep it clean and and, and, and tidy. It's the moment to say, "You, you know my heart. You know what I think when the load shedding happens. When I'm stuck in the traffic jams, you know how badly I want to. I, I want to shoot the tires of the taxi who's squeezing past me. You know what? I, you know what? A, you know what a muhu I am. Anybody else in that boat? You 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 know how dark some of the places in my soul are. What do you want me to do for you? Oh, we can either keep it clean and tidy. Or we can ask God to do some stuff in our lives. Fourthly, Bartimaeus was responsive to Jesus' instruction. The poor guy had barely, he'd barely had his sight, right? And Jesus gives him a job. He's like, go and tell your family. Go and tell everybody. And Bartimaeus is like, mm, I'm following you, Jesus. And he walks off down the road with him. Jesus gave him an instruction. People that were baptized this morning were responsive to Jesus' instructions. You watch them getting baptized this morning and you think, hey, man, I'd love to get baptized. Well, why don't you come back at 5 p.m.? Get baptized. Be responsive to the instruction of Jesus. The moment you've made a decision to follow Jesus, you should get baptized. There's a story in the Acts about uh, Philip. He's chatting to an Ethiopian eunuch. Philip was uh, a message bearer of the gospel. He's chatting to this guy. He's an important guy. He's an official. He's coming back from... Uh, Israel is heading back to his home, and uh, this guy's like in his chariot, and he's he's cruising along, and he hears uh, Philip hears this guy talking, uh, reading from the book of Isaiah, and he comes up to him and says, "Hey, do you know what you're reading?" And the guy goes, "Well, how can I unless somebody tells me what it's all about?" He, Philip tells him the gospel story. Next thing, the guy goes, "I want to get baptized." So they're like driving along. They see a paddle. Ah, oh, there's a paddle. Want to get baptized now? He's like, "Yeah, paddle's deep enough. Let's do it." So, I mean, you see, I read this stuff and then I'm wondering, how did that happen with the paddle? I mean, did, was, he, was he like, was he knees in the paddle and he put his head forward like, like that? Or did he roll over and then go like, well, like that? Or, I, I mean, what did he do? Did he roll around in the paddle? Like, I don't know. And there's a baptism font over here. The water's nice. Pastor Steve's kind. What's stopping you from being baptized? 
Can I give you a few things quickly that are characteristics of Bartimaeus' spirit? Because as I said earlier, I think in this man we find a soul that's more whole and a spirit that's more responsive than many people. Are you ready to go? Can I do it quickly? A couple things. The responsive spirit is verbal. A responsive spirit is verbal. It says what it needs. I love him. The guy shouts, right? So he doesn't just, I mean, it's not like he's shouting once. And then they say, shut up. I might have been inclined to like, okay, uh, better just chill out. Better dial it back a little bit, you know. He's like, no, no. Shouts louder. Then when Jesus asked him, hey, what do you want me to do for you? He's not scum. He stands there, Rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. Have you got verbal with God? Because the responsive spirit worships him verbally, extols him verbally, put, put, gives his name glory verbally. When we're in praise and worship, man, there should be a shout of praise. Have you told him what you need? Have you asked him what you need? Have you asked him to speak into your life? Have you asked him to fulfill his purposes? Have you got verbal with God? Because the responsive spirit's verbal. It's a responsive spirit's not a mumbly bumbly. Uh, <laughs> responsive spirit's like, come on. A responsive spirit ignores the crowd. There was a group of frogs that were traveling through the forest. When two of them fell into a deep pit, when the other frogs saw how deep the pit was, they told the other two, fro- the two frogs that had fallen in, there's no hope for you. You see, it's amazing how when there's a deep pit, immediately there'll be people that'll say there's no hope. Immediately there's a, a bit of a pit and a lull in our country. All of a sudden people are, there's no hope. If you're one of those, you need to repent because why would you curse your soil? Don't curse your soil. Bless your soil. Bless the land that you've been put in. Are you with me? Come on. I need some amens out there. Can't allow ourselves to get negative. Can't allow ourselves. To, just because there's a pit doesn't mean there's no hope. Since when did difficulty equal no hope? Are you with me? That was as a side. That was the story of the frogs that just took a short lift. Okay. Anyway. The two frogs, though, they thought, I'm going to ignore our comrades. And they proceeded to try to jump out of the pit. However, despite their efforts, guys, the group of frogs at the top of the pit were still saying that they should just give it up. They'd never make it out. Eventually, one of the frogs took heed of what the others were saying, and he gave up. He simply stopped jumping, and he died in the pit. The other frog continued to jump as hard as he could. With all of his strength, he had a Bartimaeus spirit. Once again, the frogs at the top yelled at him, You've seen your colleague die. You're not getting out of the pit. It's no good. It's too hard. He ignored them and jumped even harder. And finally, he made it out. When he got out, the other frog said, did you not hear us? The frog explained to them that he was deaf and that he thought they were just encouraging him the entire time. Come on. You've got to be careful who you listen to. Are you with me? Responsive spirit ignores the crowd. Thirdly, a responsive spirit is persistent. I love how he repeats his call. If Jesus hadn't heard him once, he's like, I'm going to check. Can you hear me this time? Come on, keep praying. Keep trusting. Keep believing. Keep hoping. Keep jumping. Keep calling. Keep getting verbal. Keep getting responsive. 
Fourthly, a responsive spirit is energetic. I love it. I mean, if Bartimaeus is sitting there and he hears Jesus and immediately the energy levels start rising. He's like, Jesus, Jesus. And they tell him, shut up, keep going. He's like, Jesus. And then Jesus says, call him to come here. He, the scripture is very clear. Verse 50, you watch it. There's three verbs there. He says he threw off his cloak. He did not take it off, politely fold it aside, give it to his mates and say, would you keep it safe for me? He chucked the thing off because he was ready to get rid of the cloak of blindness. And he, so he chucks it off. He doesn't get up politely and straighten himself and just look, am I presentable for Jesus? I mean, I know I can't see him, but he can see me. Like he gets, he jumps up and he makes his way to Jesus and he gets in front of him. A responsive spirit is energetic. A responsive spirit is responsive. I said a responsive spirit is responsive. I said a responsive spirit is responsive. A responsive spirit is full of faith. He threw aside his cloak. The cloak was his security blanket. Lastly, a responsive spirit. And here's, here's kind of, I think, kind of where it lands. A responsive spirit is actually born or rooted out of desperation. I think when... When we really understand grace, like when, when we really, really get just a glimmer or a glimpse of an understanding of what God has done for us, I, I can't help but be responsive. I find it's when I'm in um, go-it-alone mode, when I'm in row-my-own-canoe mode, that's when I'm least responsive in life to him. I'm least responsive to the things of God when I'm least desperate for him. I think ultimately Bartimaeus' spirit, I mean, the guy was desperate. And when you realize and when I realize, when we realize our collectively and individually, when we realize our desperate need for Jesus, I mean, when you get, I don't know about you, but when I get a glimpse of what, what an idiot I am sometimes, I have to be responsive to his call. I have to be responsive to his invitation. I have to be responsive to his presence because I know he's my only hope. I've tried changing myself. Maybe you have. It doesn't work. Seven steps to and 12 steps to. Listen, you can have 50 steps to. There's only one power in the universe that changes the human heart. It's the one who created the human heart. By contrast, the crowd was defeatist. You're blind. Just accept it. They were cynical. What good will your shouting do? They were religious. They don't bother Jesus. He's busy. They were worried about rules and regulations. Yeah, there was another crowd in, in Mark chapter 6. We won't go there now. But Jesus returns to his hometown of Nazareth. There was another crowd there. There was another crowd. Guess what? That crowd, they were unresponsive to Jesus. They were like, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't he like a carpenter's son? This oak, who's he? Unresponsive to Jesus. Guess what the scripture says? He could do no great miracles there. Not he would not. He could not. Couldn't do squat. Except heal a few people, it says. Like that's a minor thing, you know. It'd be pretty cool if I could just heal a few people, you know. But it's like a... He couldn't do, he couldn't do. 
because they were unresponsive. Here's the thing. Our responsiveness, yeah, church, hear me this morning, please. Our responsiveness, your responsiveness, my responsiveness, either unleashes or limits the power of God in our lives. Our responsiveness either limits or unleashes the power of God in our lives. There was a, a daughter once, she complained to her father, she was a millennial. She complained to her father that her life was miserable and she didn't know how she was going to make it. She said, to, I'm tired of fighting and struggling all the time. It seemed just as though one problem was solved, another one soon followed. And the team can join me up on the stage, thanks. Her father, who was a chef, okay, listen to what her dad does. Her dad takes her to the kitchen. He fills three of these big pots, Right? with water, and he places each of them on a a gas burner. Once the three pots began to boil, he puts potatoes in one, eggs in the second, and coffee beans in the third, right? You got the picture? Chef in the kitchen, three pots, one's got potatoes, one's got eggs, one's got coffee beans. Okay. And he begins to cook. He lets them sit and boil and he just lets them heat up and he doesn't say a word to his daughter. By this stage, his daughter's sitting there with a sullen look on her face going, what is my dad up to? She must have been a teenager, right? (coughs) After 20 minutes, he turns off the burners, takes the potatoes out the pot, places them in a bowl, takes the boiled eggs out, places them in a bowl, takes out the, the coffee bean and places it in a cup. Well, because they made coffee, right? Turning to his daughter, he says, daughter, what do you see? She goes, I see potatoes, eggs, and coffee. Look closer, he says, and now touch the potatoes. So she touches the potatoes. They'd gone all soft. He then says, take an egg and and peel it. She peels it, breaks the egg up. The egg had gone hard. So you've got the potatoes that have gone soft. You've got the egg that's gone hard. And finally, he asks her to sip the coffee. And its rich aroma brought a smile to her face. She goes, Dad, what what are you trying to teach me? He explained that the potatoes, the eggs, and the coffee, each were placed in the same environment, boiling water. The potato went in strong and hard and unrelenting, but in boiling water, it became soft. The egg went in soft, but came out hard. The ground coffee beans were unique, though. They were, after they were exposed to the boiling water, they changed the water and created something new. How we respond to the environment among, around us really, really matters. And each one of us, we've got a choice, particularly in our country at the moment, we've got a choice. So we're going to go in hard, 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 and then end up like soft. Or we're going to go soft and then end up hard and bitter and twisted. Or we're going to be coffee that takes the environment around us and we make an aroma with it. We're like, let's change the environment that's around us. eh? Let's change the place that we're in. Sharon Wheel said this, in order to be effective, you've got to be responsive. In order to be effective, you've got to be responsive. Hey church, listen to me this morning. No doubt there were other blind beggars who got around Jesus, right? Same environment, right? But they didn't receive what Bartimaeus did. They didn't get the same reward. Bartimaeus is remembered. Bartimaeus received his healing. He's commemorated. We read about him. Uh, Generations of Christ followers hear about this blind guy 
who had a cloak and he tracked it aside and he jumped up and he got to Jesus. They heard about his responsive soul and his responsive spirit. He's commemorated all because he was responsive. You see, a responsive spirit is verbal. A responsive spirit ignores the crowd. A responsive spirit is persistent. A responsive spirit is energetic. A responsive spirit is full of faith. A responsive spirit is desperate. This message was recorded live at Thrive Church. We hope that it inspired you to move towards Jesus.